Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Notre Dame could be really good this year. UMass makes program history and Zachariah Branch is a star in the making at USC. All this and much more right here on The Three Technique. One man. Goodbye! Hello, Heisman! 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, there goes Davis! Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! I give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field! He's going to go into the end zone! Four-man Alabama rush. Got him. Oh, no, they didn't know my... Week zero has come and gone. We couldn't be more thankful that football is back. And fellas, it was a a fun day hanging out, watching, watching football again, flipping around YouTube TV. Heck, we almost set up a projector uh, might have been getting ahead of ourselves uh, as far as that went, but uh, we got to enjoy game days again, and uh, it is a true celebration of life, I think, over here on the Three Technique College Football Podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason, Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney with you as well. Fellas, uh, you know, it, it, it's back. All football is good football, and, you know, even though the matchups weren't weren't going to hold water, I think, in a normal game day environment right we still had plenty to enjoy uh in the different time windows yesterday yeah lots of games that came down to the wire lots of games that you know were competitive and fun matchups and listen none of these teams were going to be attention grabbing outside of maybe notre dame and usc on a typical week of college football like you said but wasn't it awesome that we had some of these smaller schools in the spotlight even just for a little bit like I loved that we had UMass, New Mexico State in prime time on ESPN. I, I thought that was awesome. I know that was the butt of jokes. And, uh, you know, FIU, Louisiana Tech was the nightcap, Florida Vandy, or Hawaii Vandy, and, you know, all these all these brands that we don't normally pay attention to. I love that they got the spotlight for a week. I thought that was a really fun wrinkle this year. Yeah, and the cool thing about it was not all of it was just bad football, right? Sometimes you expect some of these smaller programs, you know, you're going to watch a lot of bad football. But there was some real competitive, fun-to-watch football where, you know, the two teams are matched up pretty well, making a lot of big plays. And, you know, obviously, you know, we may not be watching them the whole year as intensely as we did yesterday, but it's still really cool to, you know, get a chance to watch some of these teams make some of these big plays and give us something to something to, to go into week one with and say, hey, that, that kind of – tickled the fancy if you're if you're getting them back into football safe you know you get back into the college football mindset that, that kind of gets you going well there weren't many national storylines i think that will survive the length of the season except for in two of the games and we'll start with the headliner notre dame and navy that was the game that everyone was probably the most curious to watch the most excited to see uh, namely because usc was hidden what hidden away on the pac-12 network um if you got to watch that 
you know, legally or otherwise, congratulations. That was actually a pretty fun game. Um, but Notre Dame rolled Navy. And uh, listen, Navy is, is not a good football team. Notre Dame, though, took the bull by the horns and, and answered all the questions that, that we had heading into that first week. You know, I wrote this in the in the piece that's going to be up on the Transfer Portal CFB website, the Week Zero Headlines in Review. Notre Dame has been a quarterback away for the last couple of seasons, and we've talked about this. Um, you know, going back to whether it's Jimmy Clausen or, or Brady, um, uh, I'm blank, blanking on Brady his name, Quinn. not Brady Hoke. Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn. It's always felt like the defense has been awesome. They've had a couple of pieces to whether it's throw the football to or, or give it to between the tackles, but the quarterback just has not been up to snuff. And this year with Sam Hartman, that has completely changed. Hartman uh, was elite yesterday, thrown against a bad Navy defense, but 19 of 23 passing, 295 yards, four touchdown passes. We'll talk about Jaden Greathouse in just a minute. But, you know, Trey, you're high on, on Sam Hartman. Garrett, you were talking a big game about Notre Dame before we hit record. What can you take away from Saturday afternoon over in Dublin, Ireland, uh, and what you saw from Sam Hartman? To me, it was a great proof of concept for this offense. I, I know that it was Navy. I know this is a team that really wasn't very good last year, but this is a Navy team that fights hard. This is a Navy team that usually keeps it pretty close with Notre Dame, relatively speaking. This was a close game last year uh, between the Fighting Irish and Midshipmen. So for me, I was really impressed that Notre Dame just came out from the word go. They had four possessions in the first half and scored touchdowns on all four of them relatively easily. So Big proof of concept game, big, you know, confirmation that Sam Hartman, when the lights come on, he is quite frankly the best quarterback that Notre Dame has probably had in the last 15 years or so. So I'm excited to see just how far he can take them, how far that they can make it. They've got a lot tougher schedule coming up really soon. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see just how far that upgraded quarterback can take them. Yeah, I, I thought Notre Dame looked really, really good, right? When we were doing the preview, I talked about how, you know, you wanted this to be a glorified scrimmage. If you're Notre Dame, you want to come out and really impress people from the word go because you want to make sure that, you know, you you come out there and it's you're passing the eye test, right? They're not in a conference. They can't win a conference championship. So you have to really wow some people with what you do. And that's exactly what they did. If I pull up the team stats real quick. They had 444 total yards, 191 in the rush, 253 in the pass, extremely balanced, uh, really good on third down. They, they just they were sharp. They were just fresh from the start. They didn't have that, you know, sort of first quarter. We're just working out the kinks. We're just trying to figure it out. The offensive line looked really strong. The, they were kind of doing whatever they want to. And, yes, I get it. It was Navy, right? And, and it, it still was a team that you're probably overmatching anyways. But – to come out there and, and not mess around, right? You didn't do what USC did, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, and mess around with the team that you're way better than for a little bit and, and let them hang around and make it interesting at the half. That was never the case in this game, right? That was never what we were looking at um, for this matchup. And so, you know, I when I look at this, you know, I think that Notre Dame handled their business, did what they needed to do. I was extremely impressed, not just – with what Hartman did, but yeah, great house came out and kind of exploded onto the scene. There were some, you know, maybe early on overreactions to him in the broadcast. So they're, you know, talking about how great house was his favorite target and, Oh, look at him going. And it was like his first catch that he had 
caught and it was like maybe somewhere in the second quarter or something like that. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. They went a little over dramatic, but he did end up leading the team in receiving. He had two touchdowns. I think he averaged like 22 yards per catch. So, so they have something there um, in the, in the freshman. Um, and so I, I'm very impressed and especially what they did on defense. The defense was amazing. Obviously we thought there was going to be a different look Navy offense and that just didn't happen. Um, and so they, what they completed like three passes for 50 yards or something like that, that sounds about, you know, par for the course there. So, you know, I, I think it was a really good performance for Notre Dame. Um, you, you obviously don't want to overreact to it too much, but I, I was extremely impressed. I think they look like they're in mid season form and, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do against some better, more competitive teams. Back on great house, just really quickly. He looked the part too. Right. He did not look like mm-hmm. a freshman in his first game. He did not run it running around out there. He looked like a grown man amongst boys in his first college football game. So he's only going to mature and get better as he goes. His route running was crisp when on those touchdown catches. So I am really excited to see how he develops, especially with Sam Hartman throwing him the ball this first year. Y'all talked about the schedule getting tougher for Notre Dame. Uh, that really starts week three at NC State. 11 o'clock kick on ABC, but then they go to Ohio State week five. They'll play at Duke, at Louisville versus USC versus Pitt, which, you know, I, I think the, the jury's for sure still out on what version of Pat Narduzzi and, and the Panthers we're going to get this year at Clemson versus Wake Forest at Stanford. Now, those last two weeks, probably a lot softer than they've been in years past, but there are still multiple speed bumps along this schedule and Garrett you mentioned it they don't have a conference championship uh to to win and add that extra point of course that was the the controversy back in 2020 when they got the slot over Texas A&M uh, neither team had a conference championship to to claim um and then we were kind of comparing losses so my question and and Garrett we'll start with you does Notre Dame have to go undefeated to be a candidate for a playoff spot this year I don't think they have to. Obviously, that probably helps you. If you go undefeated this year, you beat USC and Ohio State on the way, that's one of the best resumes that you're going to have in the country. You should be in regardless. Um, But I don't think that they have to go undefeated to make it in. I think that when you look across the landscape, and we'll talk about this, obviously, when we do our college football breakdown for the playoff, but um, I think that when you look across the landscape, you're going to see some of these conferences end up with some one-loss champions, maybe some two-loss champions, and, you know, I think that that's going to be where Notre Dame can say, hey, look at us. We we won the right games, right? You have to win one of USC and Ohio State. If you play both of those and you have maybe a, like a three-point loss to Ohio State or something like that, um, I, I think you're looking at a good season and a good resume, especially when you can probably point out some flaws in other teams. There's going to be a high standard for them. That's the case every single year Notre Dame plays football. You have to meet a high standard. But – this is the first time in a while I believe that they can. It seems like every couple of years they end up in the playoff. Well, it's been a couple of years. It's it's probably about Notre Dame's time to peek back in there. If, and this is probably about as good a shot as they're going to get with the experience that Hartman gives them to go along with the talent level that he has around them. If they only lose one game, that means they're not getting in with two losses I don't, unless something crazy happens. Yeah, so of course. Let's not. just say hypothetically they lose one game. That means they beat at least two of Ohio state, USC and Clemson. Mm-hmm. And they also swept NC state, Duke Pitt, wake forest, like all these teams that could be fringe top 25 by the end, like maybe two or three more 
top 25 wins by the end of the season. That's a playoff resume. A hundred percent of the time, 101 times out of a hundred, you go 11 and one on that schedule. Unless we just see a complete collapse from some of their marquee teams, right? Like if, if Clemson somehow loses five games and Ohio state isn't ready this year and USC Caleb Williams goes down and they're not really anything that we thought they were going to be. That's the only way that Notre Dame's not getting in with just one loss. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I love the hype though. And I think that they, (laughs) I think they have the team to possibly do it. I I don't think it's getting too far ahead of ourselves after week zero. Uh, A couple other names to call out. Audric Esdeme, uh, 16 carries, 95 yards and a touchdown for the fighting Irish. Also, Chris Tyree experiment, um, I, I don't know that we can really take very much away from that. Of course, the running back that moved out wide. Notre Dame's issue is they don't have a speedster on the outside to really stretch the field. Jaden Greathouse it certainly can move, but he's not a burner. Um, it's going to be the combo of size and speed that that is his uh, his best weapon. But you know, Tyree, I think, will get his chances. Um, they're going to have to prioritize getting him the ball. We didn't really see that, but then again, they, they didn't need to do that. Um, yesterday to beat the midshipmen. One thing I will say on Tyree, there were a lot of times yesterday that he was like wide open. Like there were a lot of times that I saw as, you know, the ball was sailing past him. They didn't throw it to him a whole bunch. I think I had like three catches. Worth noting, there were nine players that caught a ball in this game. So Hartman distributed the ball extremely efficiently, but I think it was like four catches was the most any player had. Tyree had three. Uh, I, I think that there will be more times than not this season that he will find himself open in the middle of the field and he'll end up, you know, having one or two games where he ends up kind of taking over stuff and, and playing that role of the the breakout receiver. So I'm, I'm not saying everything was perfect. Obviously he wasn't, you know, maybe he, he didn't do well with his one. I think he had one carry on like a stretch play that ended up getting blown up. So I'm not trying to, you know, just sunshine pump the Notre Dame fighting Irish right now, but there are a lot of things that went right. And I think that Tyree was another one of those things that I was, I was thinking about before the show, forgot to point out, he looked pretty good in his route running for a guy that's converted from a running back. And the offense just felt more modern, didn't it? Even if it didn't look this, even if it didn't look too different schematically, it just felt more modern for more attacking down the field, more distributing the ball to multiple options. Like you said, Garrett, quicker pace up to the line of scrimmage. It didn't feel like last year at times, it felt like we were, you know, slogging through, a Notre Dame offensive possession very often. So it, props to them for that as well. It felt just way more sophisticated in the offensive attack. Sure, the Crimson Tide fans just are loving you saying that as Tommy Reese well. is now captaining their <laughs> ship. Uh, only other note, uh, you can do do some basic math, 42-3. to three. We were intently watching that over-under. Unfortunately, <laughs> our, our nation's flotilla did absolutely nothing on the scoreboard, and they kicked a sad field goal when uh, when the over was right there for the taking. So uh, if you're interested in the ledger picks, which it seemed like a lot of you guys were, that'll be coming out um, later this week when we preview week one. Uh, let's move on to Jacksonville State, guys. They won their inaugural FBS matchup over the UTEP Miners, 17-14. This was an incredibly interesting game, for lack of a better word. Um <laughs> It felt like UTEP could have won this by 20, and every single time they had a drive going or they had some sort of momentum, they found a way to just let it slip away. Uh, in, in the end, a 14-point effort on offense. Gavin Hardison didn't play terribly at all, but uh, just didn't didn't play well enough to get the job done. They have a chance to go down and win it 
with a last-second drive, and uh, Hardison throws an interception after a couple wide receivers run into themselves. Um, you know, we don't have to get into the X's and O's of this game, but I think on one hand, Rich Rodriguez, hey, you know, you get the Gamecocks' first win at the FBS level. On the other hand, Dana Dimel, boy, he finds a way to lose another very, very winnable game. Kind of the highs and lows of college football yesterday on a field that was upwards of 120 degrees. Yeah, had a JPEG instead of a PNG for the new Conference USA yep. uh, graphic. Looked like a tripping hazard at points too, but man, did UTEP just grasp defeat from the jaws of victory in this game. It felt like they could have put Jacksonville State away three or four different times. They just never could finish off the final drive. You go back to the fourth and three where they line up like they're going to sneak it and then drop back and have a jailbreak screen set up to nobody. Just really odd sequence throughout the entire game for UTEP. I think they really are going to be kicking themselves throughout the season for not finishing that one off. Yeah. And when I talked off the top about certain teams playing some really good, really competitive football, this game was competitive, but I wouldn't necessarily call it good. Um, There's a whole lot of sloppy football played in this one, a whole lot that didn't go very well. Um, the, The only thing that I could really say went well was the Jacksonville state rushing attack. You had Malik Jackson, 76 yards, Ron Wiggins, 63 yards, Zion Webb, the quarterback, 55 yards on the ground. So several guys that rushed the ball pretty effectively for him. I mean, obviously the the passing wasn't really there on either side. Gavin Hardison, kind of a sloppy game, not maybe the worst thing in the world. 58% completions, one touchdown, two picks. Eh, you know, just kind of a normal pedestrian day um, for as much as they did end up passing. But sloppy game, not a whole lot went incredibly well for the team, but you do have to give Jacksonville state credit. They found a way to win. They found a way to get the, the their first win at this level. And, you know, maybe they'll be able to build on this and improve a little bit more, find their identity as a rushing team. And, you know, let's, let's, let's see what happens with them. It can always be kind of fun to see what these teams do and they make that jump. Let's move on over to USC and the number six ranked team in the country. Tell you what, breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief. They're late in the third, early in the fourth, when they finally were able to pull away from San Jose State. They beat the Spartans 56-28. to 28. The offense for USC looked fantastic. We'll talk about Zachariah Branch here in a minute, the, the true freshman. Uh, but guys, the offense was never the question for USC. We, not even for a second, doubted that the Trojans would be able to put up points, especially with Caleb Williams running the show at quarterback. The issue is that Alex Grinch somehow is employed still in college football and not just in a group of five program. He's at a power five championship caliber program and his defenses continue to be mediocre at best. It didn't take very long before the fire Alex Grinch threads started up on Reddit or the team sites. Yeah, it it was tough to watch. If your team wins with 56 points and over 500 yards offense, you should feel great about your week one result. And I feel like it's exactly the opposite for USC right now. They got outrushed. That for it's not a massive part of their game, but they did get outrushed. The you know, massive props to San Jose State for what they're able to do there. But I mean, look, there were some real issues on that defense. Even schematically, I think I saw at one point in time the defensive end transfer Anthony Lucas ended up out in coverage. And I just kind of wonder why you would put a defensive end in coverage. And in most cases, I know that sometimes you can get like a tricky, you know, scheme where you're trying to you know, dial up a blitz and you don't know where the pressure is. So one guy just kind of drops five yards and sits in a zone just to make sure. But splitting him out in coverage and stuff like that, I, 
I don't know, man. I just I, I'm interested to see uh, if they're going to make any adjustments after this. If there's going to be a conversation about mindset or mentality, uh, because for all the transfers that they brought in and all the guys that they you know brought in to to fix the defensive issue, right? And and there were certainly some good plays. Barry Alexander knocked one down. That was fun to watch. You know, that was it's cool to see some of these guys get on this team and start to play better. But uh, if you're a Trojans fan right now, you're looking at this and saying, how did we give up almost 400 yards of offense to San Jose State? What is Washington going to do? What is Oregon going to do? What is Utah going to do? Right? What do you think will happen there when you're not just playing better defenses to keep your offensive outputs probably a little lower, but then you're going up against better offenses, better caliber players, higher you know talent levels, teams that have been there. I, I don't know. I don't know that you can feel great about it if you're USC. You won the game. Congratulations, right? You you won your week one. People come out sloppy, but I don't think that USC fans are breathing near as easy as Notre Dame fans are right now. Yeah, definitely not. And I think, you know, the perception of those two teams is probably flip-flopped in a lot of people's minds, despite the offensive firepower at USC. We Again, like you said, we weren't questioning the offensive firepower. It was going from the word go. And... To me, yeah, the rush defense is what's really concerning. Because Gary, if you bring if you bring that graphic back up, giving giving almost two hundred yards on the ground to the San Jose State fight, Zay State fighting Spartans is not just not gonna cut it. Plain and simple, it's not gonna cut it. And I'm not completely out on the USC defense. I do still think that they could find a way to bounce back and find a way to really improve this year, but man, it's really hard to see them being successful long-term if they're giving up just gashing runs like they were last night. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that San Jose State ran the ball a hundred times and they were just averaging two yards a carry, right? They were giving up big gashing runs and sustaining drives in that way. And that was my key going into this game is I don't want to see them let them sustain long touchdown drives. And that's exactly what USC let them do a few times. So just like you said, Garrett, if if they're they're playing San Jose State, that's fine. When they play US or UCLA, when they play heck, even Arizona, Arizona State, right? Like yeah. that's going to be really difficult for them to find success. Well, and the the thing that everyone was talking about was that you know third and twenty two, where the quarterback just kind of takes off behind the defense. Nobody had their eyes on the quarterback. They're playing a man, you know, kind of look, and then. He just takes off around the corner. No tackling existed. And so he just picked up 26 on third and 22. But for me, it was letting them right at the end of the second half or right at the end of the second quarter as they're going into halftime, letting them get the ball back and march down the field and score to make it a one possession game going into the half. That's the kind of thing where it's it's situational defense, right? USC played okay situational defense last year. They didn't play great defense, but if they needed a play, they're the right out time. by turnovers and sacks a lot. Yeah, they figured that out. But that didn't happen in that situation. I mean, they, they were playing San Jose State, so they made some good plays. But looking at the situations, they they kind of shot themselves in the foot a couple times. And you can't do that against better teams in the Pac-12. You, you just can't do that against some of those prolific offenses led by quarterbacks that have been there for a while, right? Quarterbacks have been playing college football for a little bit. You can't do that. They did not force a turnover yesterday. Uh, certainly a little bit of a red flag, especially when you're talking about playing lesser competition. Now, positive, uh, and we can talk about him and, and move on down the, the line, but is five-star freshman Zachariah Branch a true star in the making? Uh, kid had a chance to 
to go out and seize the spotlight. And boy, he did that four balls for 58 yards uh, and a first touchdown for his career was his receiving stat line. Oh, and he returned to kickoff for a score as well. He's the first freshman at USC to have both a receiving and a special teams touchdown in the same game since Dory Jackson did it in 2016. Wow. Uh, Listen, USC has a plethora of weapons. That's not the issue, but it is really fun to to watch a kid like Zachariah Branch, who was the top wide receiver in the country, uh, really have his moment uh, in in week one. Talk about having a game plan around a guy as a as an eighteen year old. There's not too many of those that are going to keep defensive coordinators up at night. I think Zachariah Branch is is going to be someone that's able to do that. And then we haven't even mentioned Caleb Williams. But he, he was ho hum, 278 yards, four touchdowns, very efficient with the football. Yeah. You know, fumbles a snap, picks it up, throws a 70 yard touchdown strike. One of the most um, incredible throws I've ever seen. Yeah, Just to Dorian off Singer. Back foot, 70 yards. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> like that. First, first overall pick uh, in, in 2024. You know, thank yeah. you, next. So, very curious to see if USC ends up being one of the great half teams. Uh, and if that keeps them out of playoff contention or if they can rally the defense and uh, and put together a complete team. Uh, I do uh, want to mentioned... point out, Cordero looked really, really good in this game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, I, he was... That's on the page. He was great. He, he is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think we're going to see him on those little cut to commercial, like, you know, hey, look, it's a, a highlight from another game. I think we're going to see a lot of him on this this year. He was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, yeah, 198 yards, three touchdowns. Um, listen, com- complete offense. Uh, or, or I'm sorry for for San Jose State. They they had the offense cooking at, at one point. The defense. Listen, you got you got outmanned a little bit, uh, and, and that's yeah. fine. Um, UMass. I mentioned they made some history off the top. Uh, 41-30 win over the New Mexico State Aggies. Who boy, we all thought the Aggies were going to roll into town. And, uh, and and pull off a home victory. They they came out wearing the ponchos into the game. I mean, the swag levels were off the charts. And then it all kind of fell apart in Las Cruces. Uh, the Minutemen upset the Aggies 41-30. They beat an FBS opponent in their season opener for the first time since 1984. Wow. It's not the kind of history that you want to be giving up Week one, Trey, the Diego Pavia experience, you t- called him a, a poor man's Johnny football. I think oh, this may be the unemployment line. I called him a very, very, very poor man's Johnny football. Yeah, <laughs> this this is the unemployment line, Johnny football. Um, the, the wish.com Johnny football. Cause we have Johnny football at home. Listen, he did, you know, he has he some moments. Though, when, he, when he made the throw with mm-hmm. his – helmet knocked backwards after sure. that play like you saw you saw what I'm talking about. but he, he also you know turned the ball over a couple times and set yeah. up umass with the short field and you know you just kept waiting for them to take over the game like you felt like they would last year and it, it felt like you new mexico state was kind of resting on the laurels of last season a lot in this game yeah uh, it, it they just didn't come out sharp to say the least. And, and UMass did. UMass was hungry. Uh, Chris Vanini of The Athletic tweeted that, you know, UMass fans were, were mad when he put them 133rd in his list of teams, 1 to 133. Um, I was surprised that there were UMass fans out there on Twitter, uh, but there are. There are dozens <laughs> of them, and dozens they're, they're celebrating a victory week. 
uh, after after a week one win over Jerry Kill and the Aggies. I don't really have much else to say on this game. I just thought that historical note was was fun. And you know what, Trey, like you said, it was it was an entertaining game for a, a good majority of that ball game. Yeah. It was sloppy, but it was entertaining. Absolutely, it was. Yeah, and you know they get the spotlight on ESPN, and they gave us something entertaining to watch. That's all all you can ask for in Week Zero. And if they can win one more game this year, it'll be their highest win total in a very, very long time. I'm going back through FB schedules right now. I have yet to find 2018 was the last time that UMass won more than one game and they went four and eight. So if they can win one more, they are trending up. Under, well, and, uh, yeah. I mean, good for them too. Cause this was actually kind of a, a not just a, Oh, it was competitive and fun to watch, but like they played decent football. Yeah. They, they, they played a decent football game where you look at them and you say, Maybe they're not this terrible, awful, worst team in the nation type of program. I mean, they beat somebody, so they can't be the worst team. Um, I'm not saying New Mexico State is, but you know they can't possibly be the worst team at this point. And, you know, I think that this is big for them. That's cool for them. I also think I saw, Mitch, this was their first road win to start the season since, like, the early 70s, like 72, yeah. 73, somewhere in there. So not just winning their first game of the season for the first time in a while, but on the road, too. Add, add another decade to that. I think it was also the first time they'd scored 40 in a season opener since the 70s. So, yeah. you know, all We're kinds We're breaking of, records over there, okay? We're all breaking kinds records of history. In the yeah. Uh, you don't often hear that a Don, Don Brown coach team is trending in the right direction, but you can say it right now. Um, Here we go. <laughs> so congratulations to the Minutemen. Um, guys, we, we knew this was going to happen as soon as we all took the Ohio Bobcats to not only cover but win on the money line. Uh, San Diego State wins 20 to 13 Snapdragon Stadium. Now I will say it feels feels a little uh, a little cheap because Curtis Rourke, the Mac Player of the Year uh, a season ago, as the quarterback of Ohio, knocked out in the first half. He was eight to ten for 75 yards when um, the right tackle just blew an assignment. Blitz came and uh, Rourke, instead of turning away from the blitz, kind of bent straight into it took a knee to the back of his neck, and it, it concussed him. I think it knocked him out on the field. So uh, Curtis Rourke exited the game. C.J. Harris came on, and there were times where Harris looked explosive and, and did some good things, but he threw three interceptions, including on what could have been a game-tying drive uh, there late in the fourth quarter. Just felt like Ohio's offense uh, didn't really have a chance to get going. Their running game was stifled. Um, by the Aztecs' defense. That's what they're best known for. And without a lethal passing attack, Ohio's offense just didn't get a chance to get off the runway. Yeah, you said it best, Mitch. It, it The defense played great for Ohio, I thought, especially with the offense getting you know off the field constantly. The defense stepped up and played a really, really solid game. But once Curtis Rourke went down, you just felt the air kind of taken out of that team. And you can tell that he's their leader. He's you know, what they're rallying around. Their hopes of a MAC championship are centered on him having a nice encore season. So when he went down, the air kind of went out of that sideline. And, you know, what are you going to do at that point? You're just a guy that's, you know, trying his best as a backup quarterback. And he almost led them to, um, almost led them to a victory, right? Almost led them down the field and had a chance to, you know, steal that game at the end. But I think a lot of Ohio fans are probably saying, you know, if Curtis Rourke doesn't get hurt, we're winning that football game. Uh, of course they were. I mean, they, they lost by seven. Curtis Rourke was eight for 10 when he went out. 
he had 75 yards passing when he went out and CJ Harris threw for 42%. That's not going to get it done. It just isn't going to, even if he didn't throw some of those picks, 42% ain't getting it done any way, shape or form. And you feel bad for him because we've seen this before where, you know, a quarterback goes out really early in the season, especially a quarterback who's obviously the starter. So he's getting all the reps with the ones through, you know, fall camp. And he's, you know, the, the team, that's their unquestioned leader. We're going with this guy. All of a sudden he goes down in your first or second game and you see the next guy step up and it just doesn't work. The offense just isn't working. He, he hasn't practiced with those guys. He doesn't have the chemistry of those guys. Uh, I, I feel bad for CJ Harris. I don't think he's a bad player. He just was not in a good position on the road. You know, your your guy that you thought was QB one the entire time he's out. It's it's a tough spot for him. I think Ohio probably would end up winning this game, but you got to give credit to San Diego State for clamping down. This is a low scoring game, regardless. It's not like you know Ohio came out and scored a bunch of touchdowns to start the game, and then San Diego State roared back. They shut it down pretty early. Not a whole lot of fun football to watch, maybe if, unless you're a fan of defense. Um, but you got to give them credit; they played pretty well. Yeah, it certainly wasn't the most entertaining game. In fact, Matt Brown of Extra Points tweeted, it's like watching Iowa football with a suntan, watching the yeah. Aztecs play defense. That's tough. Uh, I felt that, was, that was a perfect analogy because, listen, San Diego State's not going to wow you on offense. Jaden, uh, Jalen Maiden is, is going to have to just kind of drive the bus uh, and, and move things forward and, and let that defense go to work, and that's exactly what happened yesterday. No. Uh, we did get some fireworks late, though. The last two games to wrap up, Louisiana Tech uh, scored 22 against FIU to beat them 22-17, and Vanderbilt hung on to beat Hawaii 35-28 after a lightning delay pushed that game late into the night. I don't know if you guys got to watch any of the the finale here with, with either, but they were high drama. I mean, I was tuned into Law Tech FIU, FIU had kind of dominate. Well, I say dominated. They had made all the plays to keep Louisiana Tech off the scoreboard, despite Louisiana Tech like doubling them up in in total yardage. That's an offense run by Sonny Cumbie, who comes from the air raid, uh, you know, family tree, right? Meanwhile, Vandy started great, and then the defense nearly let it all slip away. Fourteen point comeback for Hawaii in the fourth. Braden Shager. Um, Highland Park, great, was was slinging the rock, 351 yards, a couple touchdowns. He also threw a couple of picks as well. Um, anything stand out for for you guys from either of these two games? Yeah, a couple of really, really fun endings. Um, I did catch the end of both of these just in passing uh, as we wound down the night last night. But, you know, FIU, credit to them, like you said, for keeping LaTeX off the scoreboard for a large chunk of that game. I think they were up 17 to nothing at one point or 17 to seven. And then LaTeX just came roaring back. Of course we get a lower scoring game when all of us were expecting a shootout, but um, <laughs> you know, I think Hank Bachmeyer could be really fun down there in Ruston. I do think long-term I'm really excited about that offense and Vandy that, you know, attack that offensive attack could be really dangerous this year. I, I I'm trying to, you know, put some seeds out there that people should watch out for the Commodores this year. I like Swan as a quarterback. I really think that he could be a lot of fun. I don't know how that's going to translate when he plays better defenses, but dude was a baller, came up clutch when he needed to last night. And uh, yeah, the defense is a different story, but Hawaii was playing really inspired football last night. You could tell that they were all, that it was on the minds of those players that they were playing for their people back home. And 
that, that was definitely inspired football by them. And so I don't know how that'll hold up the rest of the year. Um, as the season kind of grinds on, it might be hard to find wins. But last night, at least, they were playing very inspired football. Right. And on that note, I mean, anytime a team has that kind of inspiration or has something like that go down, you're, you're looking at a Disney movie type of moment. So the fact that they hung in this game isn't necessarily shocking, right? right. That you, you run a little faster, you play a little harder, you're a little bit more focused, right? It, it just It's just what happens when you have a situation like this. Um, and obviously, prayers go out to everybody affected. But you really got to be, in my mind, I kind of came away with a little bit of a different take on Vanderbilt. I'm a little concerned with Vanderbilt. And not that we expected massive things out of them this year, but for anybody who thought that this was going to be the next step for Clark Lee and his team and his program, uh, Hawaii outrushed you. They outrushed you by one yard. They, they beat you 40 to 39 on the ground um, with, with one fewer attempt as well. So look, I understand that the passing game was there and, and Swan had a pretty decent game. I mean, he wasn't necessarily special, but he played well. Um, I, man, if it wasn't for two Hawaii turnovers, I really wonder how this one ends up. Um, I, I, I think you got to be nervous about the line of scrimmage. They did not do very much to dominate the line of scrimmage, to push guys around. They should have. They should have been able to go in there and just push them around. I wonder what happens when they start lining up against, you know, the the better, not even the top tiers, like the Georgias or the, you know, you know some of those in Kentucky. But, like, what happens with, like, a South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, Mizzou? Like, when you start playing these other teams in your division – What's going to happen when they can just kind of push you around? I, it, it could be rough for Vandy. This may not be the step forward they were hoping that they would take. Maybe it's just week one jitters. Maybe it's just Hawaii was inspired. Oh, man, I just came away thinking, come on, Vandy, all offseason, and you give us this. It, it was almost like the stadium was a metaphor for their program. We thought it would be done. We thought it would be further along, and it's still just kind of a mess. It's still <laughs> incomplete. Still an active construction zone. You need your hard hats. That that uh, that's what was it? Their scoreboard was kind of dangling. I thought for sure that was coming down on somebody else. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was dangerous. From a crane. Yeah, you have the band getting ready for halftime. They're like weaving their way through barricades and like. Hawaii's <laughs> locker room was a tent, guys. Y'all are burying <laughs> the weed here. True. Um, yeah, we literally Vandy was a a. Goal line stand, an interception. One of the interceptions thrown by Shager was down on the goal line. It was first and goal from the two, from the, from one, the one and a half. Inside yeah. the one. The, the touchdown got called back. They called him yeah. short of the goal line. And so it was at the half-yard line. They had a false start on first down. The very next play from the five, they threw an interception. Mm. Which, listen, throwing the ball inside the five, that's that's its own decision. But, yeah, truly uh, – a a couple of plays away from this going very, very differently for for the doors. Um, but they do hang on, and I mentioned La Tech comes back to win. Um, they got a rushing touchdown. I believe his the running back's name is James Shields. Uh, I need to pull that up to confirm, but he had one carry in the game. Didn't see action until very, very late in the fourth quarter, Jacob Fields. And uh, the first carry, his only carry of the game, a 30-yard scamper over the left side for the game-winning touchdown against the Panthers, you could see Mike McIntyre and his entire team were just like gutted uh, over on that sideline. They had led from the, from the word go Grayson James had played a pretty solid game. Now he didn't pass well, but he, he drove the team forward. Shamari Lawrence was, was a a great force on the ground, 139 yards. Uh, 
but Florida's Florida International just didn't make a lot of mistakes um, until that last drive, and, and James has a, a ball go through his receiver's hands and and uh, picked off to to seal that one. So, anyway, disappointing loss for for FIU for La Tech. They start one and zero. They'll go uh, to SMU. We'll be in attendance for that game actually next week. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Conference USA is officially off and rolling. Guys, that's that's the the totals from Week Zero. Um, you know, not not very many games, but it was entertaining nonetheless. I think we had a great time watching. You know, as as you kind of turn the page, we'll do our Week One preview on Wednesday, so it'll be out Thursday morning. Uh, are you guys kind of looking forward to seeing the rule change specifically that with the running clock, are you looking forward to seeing how that plays out over the course of the season or do you hate it? Cause a lot of folks on Twitter immediately were saying, this is a dumb rule. This is an answer to a question that nobody was asking. I'm kind of inclined to lean that way myself as well. Man, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I, I loved it personally. I, <laughs> I loved that. We weren't getting as many unnecessary stops. I loved that the games were moving along. It felt like we had, this might just be, you know, Mandela effect, but felt like we had fewer commercials as well. And I know we were flipping back and forth trying to avoid the commercials as we usually do, but (laughs) it felt better to me personally. I I think it's going to be good for the game long-term. It's going to take some getting used to, but I, I was a fan of it. Yeah, I think it's a thing that as the year goes on, we'll kind of get used to. I wasn't the biggest fan, and my whole perspective on it when the rule came out was, why are we trying to get less football, right? We wait all year for football to come back, and then most teams, they get 12 games, maybe 13 if they make a bowl, and you want those to go by faster? You want those gone sooner? You want less football? I mean, if you're, like, really, really good, you get 15 games or 16 games or whenever the playoffs expand. But I mean, what, like, what are you complaining about at a certain point? Like let the game go a little bit. I want more football. I want more plays. I want more drama. I want, you know, more possessions, more scoring, more, you know, chances for awesome opportunities. I don't want to, I don't want a situation where we're just watching a team run the ball and have like eight, nine minute possessions. We and, we get it. You hate the triple option. You hate the service. Account. Okay. Look, I didn't want to say said. it. Okay. John Adams would be ashamed of you, Navy. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm Trey, saying. I think you you had a good point yesterday. I, I said I didn't like that one possession now could equal an, an entire quarter, essentially, if, if right. you play your cards right. You mentioned in the, the second and fourth quarter, you would like to see that rule amended to where it's, the clock is now stopping uh, inside of four minutes as opposed to two minutes. I, I kind of agree. I felt like two minutes was felt like uh felt like a token thrown in right where it's like oh well we're we're just trying to be a little bit different than the nfl but not that much different right i didn't like how that felt towards the end of the game i I liked your suggestion yeah i I think that could be a good sweet spot four or five minutes you know give everybody we we don't need to stop the clock at 1355 in the first quarter after the first first down of the game like i I, like i will die on that hill but yeah, I'd be fine with a compromise of four or five minutes in each half. All right, guys. Well, week one, I mentioned it's coming up fast, and we're pumped for it. But uh, we have been anticipating making our college football playoff predictions all off season long. And I don't know about you guys. When I put my answers down on this page, I really hadn't 
kind of cemented those picks at any previous time, right? There are so many teams that you feel like could be that third seed, that fourth seed, depending on how things shake out, you know, maybe even the top two spots are up for grabs. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to get into this as we log our official predictions. Uh, for those of you guys on the YouTube side, welcome in. If this is the first time that you're you're finding us from this video clip, um, we're excited to have you and excited to, to get this full season underway. Trey, let's start with you. Georgia is certainly the, the betting favorite, right, to not only go undefeated, but to win another national championship for a couple of reasons. Their schedule is charm and soft for sure, uh, but they've invested in the line of scrimmage. Their skill talent, certainly on the defensive side, is some of the best in the country. And I think folks are sleeping on the wide receiver room at Georgia. Uh, But in your mind, is there anything that keeps the Bulldogs from, one, going undefeated, and two, being the number one seed and the favorite here in 2023? They could definitely slip up. I mean, it, it would be really, really impressive. If, if they go through this season unscathed, it would mean, what, close to 40 straight uh, forty straight wins. And I think to say that that's you know, expected of any team is definitely stretching it at the collegiate level. But listen, I they, they're my favorite. They're my number one seed. I'll run through the rest of my college football playoff real quick. I've got Georgia as the number one seed. Michigan coming in at number two. I've got Florida State as the three seed. And I went back and forth on so many teams for this number four seed. But I'm settling on a team from the Pac-12 from the last year of the conference's existence. And it's not the USC Trojans. It is the Washington Huskies that I'm going to have sneaking in, making their second ever playoff appearance. And look, I, that's me going out on a limb. I got silly with my fourth pick last year and picked Oklahoma. And they went six and six. So I could be giving Washington the kiss of death, but I I really love the team that they have up there. I, I've talked a lot about Florida State. I haven't talked as much about Washington on the show, but I love the team that they have up there. I think they might have quietly the best or second best defense in the Pac-12, and I think that's going to go a long way. And I love the way the schedule sets up for them too. It's really backloaded. They have a lot of chance to build steam and kind of you know have really high profile victories. Um, towards the end of the season for Florida State, one of the most complete teams in the country. Tons of talent coming back. They supplemented the few gaps they had through the transfer portal. And of course, Michigan, this is the best team that Jim Harbaugh has had in his tenure as a Wolverines head coach. And he definitely has the last dance vibes going on right now. He certainly does. I mean, goodness, it it feels like if Michigan doesn't get it done this year, they may never get it done. Um, as everyone's kind of expecting Harbaugh to race out the door. Well, Garrett, I'll I'll pitch it to you next here. Um, You know, I love that you and and Trey are on the Florida State bandwagon. Uh, That's something that I'm going to address here in just a minute when when it's my turn. But um, I think you are going to surprise some folks as we teased off the top with who you put in as your fourth seed. You you were debating all day yesterday whether to pull the trigger, and sure enough, come Sunday morning, uh, you you decided to jump in with, uh, with both feet. Yeah, guys, all offseason, I thought that it was going to be USC as my four seed, right? I, I did the breakdowns. I thought their defense was going to be massively improved. Uh, I thought that, you know, every single transfer coming in, right? You know, Bear Alexander, Anthony Lucas, it, they kept rolling in with some really high caliber players. And I thought, man, this USC defense is going to be legit. And then you combine that with a 500, you know, yard, 50 point offense every single week, and they're going to cruise through the Pac 12. They're going to be ready to go on and be a big name in the Big Ten and 
and all that, right? We're, you know, all sunshine and rainbows out there in Southern California. And then we watched them play San Jose State, and I just kind of thought, hmm, this defense may not be what it's cracked up to be. Maybe the guy in charge is still having enough of an influence on the defense that they're not that good. Um, and, and I, I kind of wanted to flip-flop, and I was like, okay, well, like, do I really think that means that Washington can do it with, you know, one, maybe two losses? Do, does that mean I think now that, like, a big 12 champion can do it if it's, like, Texas or Kansas State? I, I think you're going to get a lot of those kind of two-loss champions in those conferences. I think whoever wins those conferences is, is not going to do it uh, with a good enough resume. And I remembered watching that team from earlier in the day, so I'm going to fully commit my number four seed is Notre Dame. I'm going in with it. I think they're a great team. They've got a great schedule that lines up to where if they can kind of run the table, if they can kind of do what they need to do, uh, they're going to, with one loss, they're going to have a better resume than most teams, right? They're going to have better quality wins than a lot of these teams. So I'm going to pick Notre Dame at number four. My number three seed is going to be the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm going to pick Georgia to go one loss. I think late in the year versus Tennessee, that's on the road. I, I think that could be a dangerous spot for them. Um, and look, I mean, like you were just saying, Trey, they've won a whole bunch of games in a row. It would be ridiculous to expect them to win all those games again this year. They slipped up, you know, maybe once or twice last year where they almost got got. I think they get got at some point this year. So I'm going to pick Georgia with a 12 and one with the conference championship to get in with a third uh, seed. My number two seed, that is Florida State. I think they run the table in the ACC. I think they win their conference. And I think a 13 and 0 Florida State is going to look really good behind the number one 13-0 Michigan Wolverines. Look, at the end of the day, it's just about who they're beating, right? I think beating Ohio State, beating Penn State, right, and beating a, you know, a Wisconsin or an Iowa or someone like that in the championship game, I think that's going to look a lot better on their resume. So I'm going to pick Michigan to be the most complete team, end up as number one in the country uh, at the end of the season. Folks are talking about, if not – if not this year, not ever with Texas. I think, as we we just mentioned, I think the same can be said about Michigan. Um, I love I love the Notre Dame pick. I love the oh, faith. Yeah. Like let's <laughs> let's fully buy in here. Uh, my top four are uh, slightly different. Um, I've got two teams in that you guys do not. We'll start with the number four seed, the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, they're the four seed because they're going to lose one game and not make it to the Big Ten Championship game. More on that in a second. The three seed, guys, um, I'm just saying both teams. Uh, finally defy all the calculations, all the odds. They've wasted so much talent over the years. They can't do it any longer. The Texas Longhorns are in as the number three seed. They will lose a game going into uh, the Big 12 Championship game. But listen, it's just it's hard for me to not to, to look at this roster and go, I, I can pick anybody else. I think Kansas State uh, is, is a very solid team. I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech are all going to be right there as well. But Texas is the most complete team, and they have literally no excuses not to, not to win 11 games this season. I think anything less than anything less than a Big 12 championship game is a failure, and really this team should make the playoffs. So I'm going to buy in. I'm going to say they make it as a three-seed. My number two seed, uh, this has big North Carolina State vibes from last year when I picked them as the fourth seed, and I still maintain that the Wolfpack could have been lethal had Devin Leary not gotten hurt. Um, there was just no quarterback depth on that team. The defense got you know, 
forced onto the field. It felt like every three minutes. Um, in their disappointing season last year, Penn State. Penn State has very quietly built up the best roster they've ever had under James Franklin. Now, I know the secondary is replacing a lot of key pieces, but they've got some absolute all-stars, both in the secondary and the defensive line. Chop Robinson's a name you're going to hear on repeat this year. And listen, Drew Aller is a young quarterback, but sometimes you got to have that it factor, right? And, and Bryce Young came in and had it for Alabama. I feel like this is the time that Penn State can can get Michigan. They play them at home. I do think Penn State drops a, a road game right now. When I'm looking at the schedule, I pencil it in. They lose to Ohio State. Um, they're not the most talented team that would be in this playoff, but I really do like what they have on that roster. Drew Aller electrifies that offense. They're going to have a great rushing attack as well with Nicholas Singleton. I'm buying in with James Franklin and Nittany Lions. Number one, no surprise, Georgia. I don't think that they drop a game on their regular season. I think because their schedule is soft enough, Georgia finds a way to get up for the big games. They're not going to be having to run through a gauntlet this year, right, like some other teams. Um, And I'm not as afraid of of Tennessee as as some are. I, I feel like Tennessee has a chance to go dominate that game like they did a season ago if they can throw Joe Milton off. I don't really think that Tennessee is going to be able to to hold Georgia off the scoreboard. So Georgia, Penn State, Texas, Michigan, we'll turn it around now, picking our national champion, then we'll run through the Heisman uh, rationale here in just a second as well. I've got Georgia and Penn State uh, chalk through the the semifinals, and uh, Georgia ultimately beats the Penn State Nittany Lions in the national championship. Kirby Smart has built a Death Star, and uh, the Georgia Bulldogs' reign remains intact. Uh, I don't think they drop a game this season. Yeah, I've got my, my one four. I've got Michigan winning against Notre Dame. Uh, I just think Michigan will be the best team that they play all year. They're extremely balanced pretty much everywhere. I think I like what McCarthy brings back at the quarterback spot. I'm looking for him to make a big step in the right direction. So Michigan will move on. I've got Georgia beating Florida State. It'll be a tight game. That'll be a fun one to watch. You know, I, I think ultimately talent on Georgia, you know, is going to end up beating the experience that we've seen at Florida State. You know, Jordan Travis can be very, very good. He's going to keep him in that game, but Georgia's going to move on. And 1936 was the last time we had a team three-peat. Minnesota pulled it off in 36. And for that reason, Michigan will win the national champion. Hail to the victors. It won't be Georgia. Not this year. They're not going to three-peat. It's too hard to do in modern college football. So hail to the victors. Send Harbaugh to the NFL with the championship. He'll come back for the parade or something, wearing those khakis again. We're going to do it. Go Blue. I love it. I love it. I uh, have chalk in my first round as well. I have uh, Georgia knocking off Washington, Michigan knocking off Florida State. And I'm going to actually lean into the history. Uh, I'm going to say that Georgia becomes the first team in 90 years to three-peat. They get the curse off the back and unseat those Golden Gophers, that Golden Gopher dynasty as the last team to three-peat. Yeah, guys. I mean, if you played NCAA 14, this is light work. I mean, talk talk (laughs) to me when you're trying to win your seventh straight national championship. Three in a row. Like, come on. We finally got all our guys on campus. We're feeling good. Um, No, it, it history is so often undefeated, but because of how talented this team is, and again, Georgia just doesn't have to stress like a Michigan, like a you know USC, a Florida State, whoever might be in the running for this, their week-in, week-out gauntlet just isn't there this season. It's not 
the weakest schedule I've ever seen, but compared to their competition, Georgia has a built-in advantage. Um, and so I do think that it's very, very possible they could do it. I didn't put Georgia in my playoffs last year. I'm regretting that. So maybe we're overcorrecting by leaning in the other way. I'm going to say one thing in the case of Michigan against Georgia. I think both teams are good. I think Georgia probably has the overall roster advantage, but I'm going to lean in with the fact that there's a quarterback who's been in the playoffs now for a couple couple go-rounds, right? They're, they're at least last year with the, the big TCU loss and J.J. McCarthy, right? The, the, the whole looking at them celebrate and all that stuff like that. I'm not going to say that's going to be the whole thing, but if you don't think that's been something he's focused on, if you don't think that's something this team has been focused on and that the whole – if Blake Corum would have been healthy and if we could have just, you know, not had that call to fumble or not had that call to incomplete or whatever. Like there's some real close plays in Michigan with playing in the national championship game last year. I, I think I like the experience more because, you know, Georgia's breaking in a new quarterback. They'll have a full season to do it, but I don't know that you can make the case that in a, in a national championship game, when all the cards are on the table, that having a quarterback with experience who's been in the spotlight before doesn't pay off in that big moment, the big third down to move the chains and keep the drive alive, the the, the big moment, you know, late in the game, needing to keep things alive, find the right guy. I just I like the experience more than I like the the, the talent advantage that I think Georgia has on the total roster. So there you go. Our national championship picks right in. Let us know who your picks are. Where do you disagree? Where'd we get it wrong? Where'd we get it right? Guys, let's wrap up this episode with our Heisman predictions. And I'll I'll start because my Heisman is not coming from one of my four playoff seeds. To me, Florida State is my fifth team. They're the first team out. I think Florida State, as I corrected during the ACC preview, I went in thinking Clemson won that. I've since... Uh, come back and said, no, you know what? We're leaning in. Florida State wins. I think they get left out behind uh, Michigan, and I think there could be a variety of factors. I think Florida State could drop up to two games this season, Um, but Jordan Travis is going to have a whale of a season, and I know he he won't make the playoffs, or I'm saying he's not going to make the playoffs, but I think he does some really special things with the wide receiver core that he has down in Tallahassee winning an ACC championship game. I think he's going to be the dude this season. I'm going to predict Jordan, Jordan Travis to, to hoist the Heisman at the end of the year. I love it. I'm going with a high-powered quarterback as well, but I am going with a guy that I think will lead his team to the playoff. They kind of go hand-in-hand hand for me. My four-seed Washington making it on the back of Michael Penix Jr. I think by the end of the year, he's going to have a real shot at entering that conversation for who goes number one overall in the NFL draft. I think that someone's going to fall in love with him. There's a chance. I I don't know that he'll unseat Caleb Williams. I'm not willing to go that far, but I think he could definitely unseat Drake May, who's pretty much locked in at number two on the boards right now. If he goes out and has a Heisman caliber season like I think he can, then he might be making himself a lot of money in the NFL next year. Probably will either way, but... The way I see the season playing out, he has a lot of opportunities, lots of projected ranked-on-ranked matchups down the stretch of the season. Their November is brutal. If he can lead the Huskies through unscathed, get them to the playoff, he's going to be on the stage in New York holding up that really heavy Heisman Trophy. Man, boo you guys in this quarterbacks award. That's no fun. (laughs) This isn't just a quarterback thing. It's going to be Blake Corum, okay? Now, it's crazy. I know it's not supposed to be a quarterback, but I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path. He was on better pace last year than both Derrick Henry and Mark Ingram in their Heisman campaigns. 
for yardage, for touchdowns, you know, yards per carry, also he was playing better. If it wasn't for the fact that he got hurt and that late season game didn't get to have his big Heisman moment against Ohio State, and you know he would have too, I, I just I, it, it would have been his last year. There wasn't a convincing winner necessarily in my mind last year. Yes, Caleb Williams was fantastic, but I still think you know late in the season we were talking about who should it really end up being. I, I think it should have ended up being Blake Corum. He's gonna do it this year. And, and that's part of my rationale behind why Michigan is going to win it all. You know, with a Heisman Trophy winner on your roster, uh, I know some teams don't quite meet that, but, man, sometimes that can just take you up over the top. And, and I think that confidence is what ends up pulling Michigan over the top. So Blake Corm's going to win the Heisman Trophy, and I won't hear another quarterback take on it otherwise. I, I refuse. This isn't the TV O'Brien. <laughs> hey, listen, if uh, if Corm can lead his team to a national championship uh... – Totally, totally. Uh, he's he's one of the best contenders for it this year. He was fun to watch last year before he got hurt. But, gentlemen, we're locking it in. Playoff predictions, Heisman, talking season is done. Week zero is in the books. And a week one preview is up next. For everyone that tuned in, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, thank you so much for listening. Drop us a follow, subscription. Uh, if you are brand new, it's completely free over on YouTube and Spotify, uh, and it helps us grow quite a bit so many new followers so many new listeners discovering the three tech pod for the first time as the 2023 season gets kicked off and we could not be more thankful to have you here for trey reeves and garrett turney i'm mitch mason thanks so much for watching until next time so long everybody gracious how about that